the murder mystery podcast. The story unfolds each week. Will you guess the killer? On the murder mystery podcast, it's The Venetian Affair. Episode 10. The family is buzzing over breakfast, with theories about how Nick's body came to be in the villa. As Olivia finishes her coffee, Paddy's head appears around the corner of the door frame. Could I have a word with you? he says to her, and she follows him to his study, where he hands her the letter from David Goodman. As she reads, he nervously paces behind his desk. Views? he says curtly. There's no evidence for this, she says. It appears to be a revenge action connected to his long-running dispute with you over the share allocation twenty years ago. Agreed. Can I ask you? She says. Go on. The air thickens slightly. Everything you tell me is bound by client confidentiality, Mr Cornish. Now you've got me worried, says Paddy. Did you have anything to do with the death of Nicholas Goodman? Of course not, says Paddy angrily. I have to ask, I'm sorry, she says. But even so, his face contorts into a frown. Part of my job is asking the questions that no one else will, Mr Cornish, she says. It's the core of what I do. No one is suspecting you or accusing you. His rage palpably cools as his pacing slows over the next minute. She waits and pretends to reread the letter, to give an air gap for Paddy to go from boil to simmer. What did Nick say to you at the party? says Paddy eventually. He just talked about the injustice of it all. He looks despondent. I need to know what happened on the day he died. Can you look into it for me? He hands her a second sheet of paper. I've written down the contact numbers for the Goodmans here. Can you talk to them? There are two telephone numbers here. Whose are they? David is the first one, and his son, Scott, is the second, he says, in case David doesn't answer your calls. Of course, she says. I can try and trace Nick's movements. From the time of the party until his body was found here, that's just over twenty-four hours. That would be a help. And, Paddy begins to say, but is interrupted by Maria rushing into the study. Signore, the police, the carabinieri, they, they are at the front door. Police? repeats Paddy. Si, signore. What do they want? They want to talk to her. The police want to talk to you, says Paddy, looking at Olivia. Show them in, Maria. But before Maria can collect the police, they arrive in the study. One can speak English. Signora Cornish, this woman is your lawyer, Miss Street? She is. We need to ask her some questions, he says. About what? About the death of Nicholas Goodman. You will come with us, please. He raises his arm to indicate that she should move. 
They march Olivia along the corridor, one in front and one behind her, then out to the quayside, where a police boat is moored next to the water bus stop. They all get in, and one of the men drives the boat too fast along the Canal Grande and out into the open water beyond. He pulls it round and brings it into a mooring at San Zacharia. With the two policemen keeping her close, the group walks rapidly across the white pavement from the water and dives into a narrow passageway that leads to the local police headquarters. Olivia is left in a room on the first floor that overlooks the alleyway they've just walked up. Another officer brings her an espresso. Then nothing happens for what seems like hours. Eventually, a more senior policeman enters the room. Signorina, I apologize for the wait. She says nothing. He has a thin folder of papers in his hand, which he opens. I am Ispettore Julius Bonato. This interview is about the death of Signore Goodman at the Palazzo Mandola. He looks up at her, then continues. In your statement taken on the morning that Signore Goodman was found dead, you said you met him the night before at a party. Yes, she says. Tell me what happened there. I went to get my coat as it was getting cold, she begins. Mr. Goodman followed me inside and started talking to me. As part of that conversation, he discovered, or already knew, that I worked for Paddy Cornish. He then asked me to appeal to Mr. Cornish on his father's behalf about some shares. From the Brigitine Company. The shares are in Kanaka, she says, but yes, the split related to British Tin. Uh, what did you say to him? I said that I was only working on two specific projects for the Cornishes, and I am not their general counsel, so couldn't help him. And his reaction? says Bernardo. He tried to prevent me from leaving. Which you saw as what? Which I saw as a potential threat, she says. Did you report that to the policia? I didn't, she says. He stops writing and looks directly at her. Would that not have been the right thing to do? I asked him to stop, she says. Which he did. It didn't constitute a violent act, in my view. Are you familiar with the Italian law, signorina? I didn't feel in danger, Ispettore. She holds his gaze. Then he writes on the paper in front of him. Over the next hour, Bernardo asks Olivia questions about her relationship with Paddy, what dealings she has had with the family, when she arrived in Venice, and details of the legal work she is doing while she's in the city. He finally stops. That is all, signorina, he says. You have been very helpful. Can I ask you a question, Ispettore? He shuts the folder and holds both palms up telling her to go ahead. He didn't die in the palazzo, did he? We don't think so, says Bernardo. No forensic pool around him, she says. Do you know the cause of death? I can't tell you that. If I can guess it, can you tell me? That's not how it morphine overdose, she says. Her eyes locked onto his. The Ispatori is silent at first, mulling over what to say. 
You are guessing this because signs of vomit around the mouth and blue fingertips, she says. I thought you were a commercial lawyer, says Bernardo. I studied toxicology as part of my degree. Bernardo says nothing, but she can tell from his eyes that her diagnosis is correct. Thank you, Ispatori. You've been very helpful. Olivia returns to the offices of Cornish Enterprises and calls Jess to get the contact details for Caroline Riley, the woman who ran the party where Olivia had met Nick. She opens a new folder on her computer and starts to store information about him. Nicholas Rees Goodman was the eldest son of David and Madeline Goodman, who were married when they were both 23. Nick was born two years later, and their second son, Scott, three years after that. Olivia writes down the timeline of the family in her notebook and maps the parents' ages and the years the children were born onto it. She adds the key events in their lives along the chart, particularly the Canaco sale, the dates of the three court cases, and how those fitted in with Nick's and Scott's ages, and their time at university. Judging by the coverage of the cases in the news articles that Olivia finds, the father, David, was the main driving force behind the first case. But the latter cases had more about the boys in the articles. They would have been teenagers or in education when David first sued, but they were in their twenties for the following court battles. The boys would have seen their father lose out in the sale, and they seemed to have taken on the fight as their own as they became adults. Olivia screen grabs pictures of the father and Nick on her phone, but can't find images of the mother or of Scott anywhere. Those two seem to have been kept out of the pictures taken by the press. There's little on what Nick did for a living, or his personal life. In the world of the newspapers, he is a bit-part character in the play of Goodman versus Cornish, one of the two angry sons, as one tabloid described them. Olivia then calls Caroline Riley and arranges to meet her at her home in an hour. The palazzo looks different during the day from the version that Olivia saw on the night of the party. The candles and alcohol have given way to timeless Byzantine grandeur. Caroline is tall, five foot ten, Olivia guesses. Her height gives her an air of lounging instead of sitting, and her walk seems to be in slow motion, as her legs don't need to work so hard. They go up to the first floor and sit in what would have been called a salon for most of the history of this building. Caroline pours tea for them into elegant Victorian porcelain. Nicholas Goodman, begins Olivia, handing Caroline her phone with a picture of Nick on the screen. The woman inspects it closely. Did you invite him to the party? Caroline takes her time to reply, while she concentrates on the photograph. No, she says finally. But he was there. Yes, he was there. Did he gate crash? Says Olivia. I think he arrived as someone's plus one. Do you know whose? Let me think, says Caroline. The first time I saw him on the night, 
He was already inside. I didn't see him arrive. I wasn't surprised to see someone I didn't know. That's the point of a party, after all. She pauses, remembering the evening. Memories like snippets of video roll up into her conscious mind. Take your time, says Olivia. Think of all the moments you saw him that night. By the bar, talking to Freddy, looking out over the water with Leo and Tabs, talking to Jess, but not you, on the sofas, laughing with Lynn. That's it, I think. She clicks her mind back into the present. And did you talk to him? says Olivia. Yes, twice he was charming. What did you talk about? He was in Venice for the Biennale opening, says Caroline. He said his mother had worked in the arts and it had always been part of his family life. He was only here for two weeks as he had to get back to London. Where is he staying? says Olivia. Uh, San Marco somewhere. She pauses. I know, that one with the best view over the lagoon, you know. What's it called? Hotel Lucanda Vivaldi. You know it. Olivia nods. What time did he leave? She says. He was one of the last to go, so two, maybe? Says Caroline. He left with Gail, I notice. Gail? Gail Calder, you know, the Biscuit family. Says Caroline. Did they arrive together? Says Olivia. Maybe he was her plus one. Does Gail live in Venice? Says Olivia. No, down for the opening, like Jess. She knows nothing about art, but her family have a few old masters on the walls, I'm sure. They've got a palazzo on the Canal Grande. Olivia learns nothing more from Caroline as they talk on for another half hour, but she does get Gail Calder's number. Back out in the alleyways of the Canareggio district, she finds a cafe and scribbles down her thoughts into some sort of order to help her brain start to decipher Nick's timeline from the party to his death. It's an evening when Ted isn't in Nicole's flat. She makes herself some food, then watches a video online. The streaming site is just taking her into the next episode when her phone buzzes a message. It's from Isabel, who sounds as though she is distraught and asking if they can meet up. Nicole doesn't hesitate in replying yes, changes her clothes, and heads out into the May evening. The bar Caravellino is in the gaggle of streets in the southwest of Venice that stretch from St. Mark's Square to the Pont dell'Accademia. Isabel is already there when Nicole arrives, with a half-empty martini in front of her and another empty cocktail glass by her elbow. Nicole orders red wine and crostini to help soak up some of Isabel's alcohol. Isabel talks about her life and how unhappy she is. Nicole is split between the past memories of their time together and wanting to tell her to dump the job and walk out. Christina has continued to lord it over her assistant, and if anything, it's getting worse. But now I'm going to get back at her, says Isabel. How? I know things. What things? Just stuff. 
things she wouldn't want to get out. What? Scandal-type things? Isabel drains her second martini and takes a deep breath out. She was... she was pregnant. Twenty-five years ago. And? says Nicole. The baby was Paddy's. That happens all the time with these rich families. But no one knows, says Isabel with big eyes. Just be careful. I'm going to blackmail her, says Isabel. Tell her that unless she starts treating me like an equal, I'll go public. Izzy, it would ruin her. And Paddy and Nancy and all of the Cornishes, says Nicole. Why would you want to do that? Just leave the job. I need this job, says Isabel. I need to get on in my career. This is exactly what I should be doing. Izzy, don't do this. You'll just create enemies, says the girl. The art world is all about who you know. You'll get screwed. I've got to do something, Nick. I know, says Nicole. Just think before you do anything. She smiles, wanting the other woman to respond in kind. But Isabel's sadness is too pervasive to let her react.